this is Foyanov with the Tech After Five podcast. And, you know, we are here to move the ball forward for you if you're in our IT community. We've been bringing tech professionals together for years at our live events, and we're trying to help you here on the podcast make the connections you need and find the folks you need in the real world, either to advance your career or build your IT business. So if you are tech or his ally, then we want you to be part of what we are doing. And we've got something awesome to talk to you about today. Um, we brought the folks in from ACDS, the Arkansas Center for Data Sciences, and we're going to talk to them about their apprenticeship program and how they do it in uh, this new world that we're living in. So, um, hang out with us. First off, let me introduce my co-host. I've got Scott Pfeiffer with me. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Phil. It's great to be here. I'm uh, really excited to learn more about this uh, apprenticeship program and how they're doing it. And uh, hopefully some people that are listening in other cities can uh, figure out ways to do cool things like this too. And people that are in Arkansas can figure out ways to be a part of it. Yeah, no, I think this is a really good, it's, it's an, a great program, and uh, I think it'll be cool to tell people about what's going on down there. So first off, let's start, um, we've got Bill Yoder with us, and Bill, uh, you are the titular head of ACDS, but you might have some other title than that. Thanks, Bill, I appreciate the time. But uh, the Arkansas Center for Data Sciences uh, was really a product of Governor Hutchinson's Blue Ribbon Commission that on a broad spectrum was focused on the demand for IT talent in Arkansas and the supply. And so there are many ways to focus on that, that gap. And uh, that's the Arkansas Center for Data Science. We're a nonprofit, public-private uh, partnership. And there are a number of things that we can do to make sure we understand the employer demand for specific IT skills and the talent supply chain, which is really begins with K through 12, follow secondary education, and then people who are looking to get into IT that are doing some other occupations. Uh, the shortest distance in terms of time and capital to fill that demand gap is a registered apprenticeship program. Yeah. And well, Arkansas is fortunate enough to have the leading expert in the country in IT apprenticeships. Uh, now as an Arkansan, Mr. Lonnie Hammer. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and then, uh, you know, another guy that we've known is a longtime advocate of IT professionals and someone who's really helped a lot of people out in their career is uh, Lonnie Emmert, someone who I've known in multiple states, but, uh, I mean, is working out and now in Arkansas helping ACDS. Uh, Lonnie, uh, thank you for being part of this conversation today. Well, thank you, Phil. And Bill, thanks for your kind words. Um, you know, for those on here that uh, remember our ITology days, Phil, uh, and, uh, and that continues in South Carolina, but, you know, whether it's folks in North or South Carolina and beyond, you know, we started talking about registered apprenticeship and really apprenticeship as a concept long before the U.S. Department of Labor, you know, started funding some incentives for what they called expansion into non-traditional areas. Um, a lot of people think apprenticeship and they think, uh, you know, the, the trades. They think of uh, plumbers and carpenters and electricians. And, and we realized that uh, it really applied as a great learn and earn model for people moving into the IT profession. 
And, and I'll explain more later, but you know, the idea was what we started in South Carolina uh, has now become pervasive across the country. And, and yes, there are some financial incentives, but what Bill just mentioned was, you know, we're trying to educate executives and, and the business folks to understand the strategy behind why you would do an apprenticeship versus other things that they are, have been currently doing for years as far as hiring strategy. So I hope we can help explain that today. Yeah, no, I am. I'm looking forward to it. So I know Bill kind of gave us the start of this thing, but Bill, talk to us about, you know, ACDS, you're one year into this, right? You've got a team of some awesome people over there. You're one year into it. What are the outcomes that ACDS is looking for as they help IT in Arkansas? No, thanks, Bill. Um, there are upwards of five to 6,000 IT jobs posted in Arkansas. Uh, our desired outcome is to fill those jobs with our Kansans, quite simply. Uh, th- those are very, very solid careers. Uh, they allow families to educate their, their children and provide a very good home and living conditions for them. So our, our outcome is really more IT professionals in the state of Arkansas. There's somewhere around 55,000 Arkansans that are working in IT today. Uh, We'd like to see 75,000 over the next five or six years. Uh, So we we are concentrating on the short term with the registered apprenticeship program. Uh, That very quickly takes somebody with potential and puts them in an IT position. But we're also working very closely with secondary education. the, the fact is that the graduates don't always have the exact skills that the employers need to provide immediate value upon getting their degree. Mm. Uh, we're, trying, we're trying to close some of that gap with curriculum and faculty. Uh, we're using words like collaboration and sharing. Uh, wouldn't it be great if Arkansas had a Cracker Jack data science degree that was offered at all 46 secondary campuses. Uh, We're also focused on K through 12. The governor has had a coding program now for the last four years, and we're adding to that cyber and data science. So Lonnie, um, let me ask you, what what exactly is a registered uh, apprenticeship program, and how does it differ from things like internships? Yeah, so great, great question, Scott. You know, I, I hear it all the time because a lot of us have familiarity as, as business folks as to what the value of an internship is. From an employer point of view, an internship is a great recruiting tactic, right? We get asked by an educator group, a university or a community college, to say, hey, we've got some students. Would you give them some meaningful work experience? And it works really well because that person, that young student who thinks they're heading into a career in IT gets a chance to explore and discover what it means to be in the workplace in IT. Uh, and, and some of them figure out, hey, maybe this isn't for me. And others get even more jazz because now they really understand how projects work and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. From an employer point of view, it's low commitment, right? It's for a summer or for it's a period of time that's, that's uh, you know, short in duration. And they get a chance to test drive that candidate, right? It's a try before you buy. And, and so as a tactic in terms of what Bill said and what we said at ACDS, you know, this whole continuum or pipeline that starts in K-12, we want to continually kind of equip young people 
to be able to understand how to be successful in the IT uh, profession. So that's kind of the internship that we're all familiar with. An apprenticeship differs because it's, it's, it's an assignment being that it's fully employed, right? An employer drives this whole program, but the benefit is that they're reaching the audience sooner, right? So that same intern who might have been, uh, you know, working there between their sophomore and junior year could potentially become an apprentice even before they graduate, meaning they get hired full-time with benefits, but not to the point that they would not finish their degree, right? It becomes kind of this dual purpose. We call it, you know, kind of a dual uh, purpose. But anyway, the other thing is that we also have the ability as employers to potentially waive the idea that somebody had to start with a four-year degree or equivalent experience, two to three or more years, because that's where our problem starts. When you've got 5,000 open jobs and there's only six or 700 graduates, and we had the same problem in South Carolina, same problem in North Carolina, is that that can't be the only method by which you fill IT positions today. And it's evidenced by the fact that companies like, like at Blue Cross and like we're working with uh, First Orion and many other companies, you know, not everybody in those organizations have a four-year degree in computer science. They're, they've been self-taught or they've had to take on this assignment in IT and learn as they, as they went along. We're just formalizing that program. And so what that helps companies do, Scott, is in the apprenticeship program is we reach them either one for non-college goers. Let's say they couldn't afford to go to college and pursue a computer science degree. Maybe they're career changers that, as you recall, we did some things in South Carolina where they might have been degreed in something else, pharmacy, agriculture, who knows what, but they couldn't get a job. And now we add to that with the fact that they learn digital design or they learn technology and IT in the midst of an apprenticeship and they become a lifelong IT professional. Or we get veterans returning from the military. We can find more females and minorities who weren't in these college programs. That's the benefit to the employer because the apprenticeship is going to give them a chance that they otherwise would never have had. I mean, think about us, at, oh, I'll just say any company who puts a posting on the board and it says, you know, open a software development position. And it'll say, you have to have a four-year degree or equivalent experience. And somebody, even within the company, who knows their business would look at that and go, gosh, I'd love to do that, but I'm not qualified. I don't meet that. But now you change that to an apprentice position that says, we're going to train you in the midst of moving into this position. Now, all of a sudden, people go, I can do this. And we've seen that successfully done over and over again. So I hope that answers your question, Scott. There is a difference, and it's positioning, and it's who kind of controls the, the dice. So. Yeah, it seems like a really great uh, opportunity for the employer and for the person who's transitioning into the role. What is the Arkansas Center for Data Sciences' uh, role in this process? How, what, where do you guys fit in in, in, in this apprenticeship? Bill, I'm going to let you start with that, and then maybe we can tag team. You start, and I'll finish. Got it. Got it. Um, the, the the first job, Scott, is educate and make awareness. Uh, the as Lonnie says, it's an employer-driven solution. So the employers have to understand how it works to their benefit and how it works to the benefit of the individual apprentices. So we spend a lot of time and we have a, two or three of our team members focused on talking directly to the Arkansas employers. Uh, it's a little bit understanding uh, the fact that they're more available today than they were in February. Uh, 
so we've got we've got employers on the line eight or nine hours a day talking about the apprenticeship program. Uh, the second thing we do is we have a team that actually becomes the operations, and I'll let Lonnie explain that. But but we we have project managers, we have talent acquisition people, so we recruit. Arkansas talent for specific skills and occupations that they will be trained on. And we started this basically 12 months ago. We've had over 2,500 applications. So we spend a lot of time talking to the individual candidates. Monty? Yeah. And, and so, Phil, as you recall, you know, we're always talking about this idea of capability and opportunity, right? You remember my phrase, at the intersection of capability and opportunity lies the road to success. But what that really means is that there are all these Arkansans that just had not realized before that this was even possible. And so now we're taking that and, and doing that on behalf of companies so that their recruiting organizations who don't have the time to go out and do perform that kind of function, we're doing that as an intermediary on their behalf. We're kind of the industry kind of uh, uh, it's not a membership organization yet, but you know, that same kind of thing. We're doing that on their behalf and that's very valuable. When they post for an apprenticeship position, we've already learned enough about them that almost like a staffing firm, but not trying to replace them. As you know, we really value the, uh, the IT staffing firms as well, but we help to sift and sort and then send two or three really good candidates for any one position. Then they say, oh gosh, we have to kind of evaluate them a little differently because they don't come in knowing everything they're going to need to know, but do they have potential? Did they pass our assessment, which basically says they've got aptitude, they've got a chance of being successful in IT. And with those things and the culture and fit for a company, that's where we've had success of taking, you know, a candidate that was non-traditional and, and coming into the apprentice program. And uh, then what Bill mentioned about project management, in my uh, roles in multiple states as kind of a subject matter expert on apprenticeship, the key ingredient for any company to be successful was that you treated it like it was a real project. You can't assume that somebody who's never done this before is just going to magically say, oh, you know, let our recruiting department or our training department take care of that because they're not ready for that and they're not paid for that. So we offer that service so that that first time they can see how we shepherded that implementation and then from there on, they go, oh, my gosh, this works great. And then they figure out how to make that sustainable. So that's that's kind of our process is we help them on the front end. Bill mentioned we have to identify the demand by working with the companies. You know, uh, that's where it starts. But in the middle piece, it's that content and curriculum that we evaluate. Right. So we have an inventory of training providers. It could be university curriculum. It could be something that was offered as a boot camp, you know, and that same curriculum is very appropriate. But instead of them having a candidate pay to go to a boot camp, it's free to them because guess what? They have already been hired. But it's the same curriculum and the same value added as far as learning and uh, education and skill building. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk to us about um, what kinds of companies – well, I've got a couple of questions. I mean, like I said, I'm fascinated by this whole idea, right? But uh, talk to us about what kinds of companies are best open to apprenticeships. You know, who's saying yes. And, you know, I mean, I get it. There's a deficit, right? They need more people than they can figure out how to onboard, but you also need a little bit of capacity. Not everybody is ready for this. Um, who is, and how do you get them ready? Bill, you want to do the same kind of thing? You start, and <laughs> I can add to it or. Yeah, Phil, you know, what I want to say is, you know, this is the segment of the uh, Arkansas employers that 
have interest in registered apprenticeship programs. But the fact is, all of them, once they understand it, are interested in apprenticeship programs. Uh, startups, very small companies of you know a half a dozen to two dozen people looking for specific skills. Uh, maybe they're changing their product and service offerings and they need a new skill. Uh, all, all the way to you know the largest companies in the world in Northwest Arkansas that have you know 2,500 jobs posted. Uh, they all can look at this as a supplemental staffing strategy. And that, that's the message that we try to talk to them. Don't, don't stop doing what you're doing. But if you're looking for specific skills, let us identify people with potential and you make the hiring decision. Gotcha. And, and Phil and Scott, you know, I, I like real examples because we're living them as we speak. So, you know, we've got three cohorts that are underway right now. One is a QA, Quality Assurance Junior Developer Program. One's a data anal analyst apprenticeship program and the other's cybersecurity, uh, as well as a lot of small individual programs for SharePoint developers, for network engineers, uh, for CAD technicians. I mean, it can be anything. And so to supplement this, what we find is that once it's clear that technology runs across every, every uh, industry, right? We talk to these folks and they realize they've struggled to find something. There's no candidate that's going to pop out of a university program with the skills that they need. So since they were going to have to somewhat train them anyway, what we're trying to do is dovetail that training with the ability to find candidates in a broader, richer way, and then ensure that they're going to stay because you've created a formalized program around how you uh, orient them, train them, develop them, and then basically put them on an increasing wage scale. So I'll mention this very quickly. There's five things that make up a registered apprenticeship, right? One is the fact that they have to go through a minimum of 144 classroom hours in a year's time, which in IT, that's not a lot. So, so that's one minimum. The other is that they have to have a mentor. So you had just mentioned what companies are better suited for this. There are some that don't have enough people that they can afford to release one of their highly productive folks that if they've only got five or 10 people, to be a true mentor. In community cohorts, uh, what we've done, that means that instead of a, a Walmart, or in the case of uh, South Carolina Blue Cross or, or Ally Bank or whatever in, in Charlotte, you can't run your own internal program because you only need one, right? You don't need 10 at a time or 15. So what we do is create a community cohort where multiple small companies who each need one or two come together into one training uh, you know, kind of cohort. Now, they're all still hiring the apprentice themselves, and we help them to go through all the paperwork and handle all the DOL interface and all that because they're their employee. But from the training perspective, they didn't have to go out and find it. They didn't have to find a vendor. They didn't have to coordinate that. We do that for them. And what you have is a very rich dynamic, now virtual, where they're still going through the skill building, but it's a very cost-effective way to go about doing that. And again, that's the role of ACDS is to coordinate and bring that to bear. And so the data analyst that we're doing right now is everybody from big banks, right? Uh, GSK, big pharmaceutical company, to a small company like a brewery who is taking their brewmaster and turning them into a data analyst because they got all this data and they don't know what to do with it, right? Huh. So they're in that same class with somebody who's a kind of a stats background data analyst at a bank, right? And they're all gonna be going through this and what are they doing? 
they're becoming an apprentice to take on a data analyst role because they probably got some, you know, responsibility that goes with that. They just don't have all the skills. And so we put those two together. So is that, you said they had 144 classroom hours. Is that before they can become an apprentice or that's while they're an apprentice? Yeah. So remember, they become an apprentice the day they get hired. So they haven't even begun training yet. Somewhere within that first year, sometimes it's front end loaded, Scott. It's the first five weeks or first whatever. Mm -hmm. But we found most companies benefit the most when we do intermittent training, maybe two to three days a week. And the other two to three days, they're on the job. Because OJT is a part of an apprentice, right? You have a mentor or a master who's kind of guiding you saying, hey, this is, I was the master electrician and you were the, the apprentice, but eventually you become the master because I've shown you the way. That still has to go on regardless of the classroom curriculum and the knowledge, you know, that's being, uh, being built. And uh, so, but that 144 hours has to happen in that way, but we're doing it now virtually to where it becomes even more flexible than it was before. Some of that time is synchronous where they're all together at the same time. And some of it's asynchronous, but the facilitator expert, you know, the instructor is still making that contact with them as they learn the hands-on way to demonstrate and deliver on the skills that they've learned about. I see. So, you know, I've had interns before, and often they, well, not often, always, they're more work than they are adding to any kind of productivity. I mean, it really is. I think you said uh, earlier um, that it's, uh, when we were talking, it's kind of a gift you're giving back to the system. It's not really helping you. And I can imagine, you know, training an apprentice would be times 10 that. So I guess smaller companies are able to participate in this because of the additional help in training and educating that you're providing them. They're not having to do it all themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it is kind of a, a collaborative thing because in the end they're their employee and they want them to be as productive as quickly as possible. And we're just filling in those pieces that some of them because of their size can't, can't afford or are available to do. And in the case of big companies, who probably already do most of this anyway, a lot of times what we're really offering them is a way to define this a little better, to make it a marketing kind of thing for them to talk about, and the fact that retention naturally goes up, they get a broader population of candidate, and they get their training paid for, because we're incenting them with basically everything in IT, other than cyber right now in Arkansas, is free at no cost to an employer to put their people through the training portion of the apprentice program. Not to mention all of our services that Bill mentioned, talent acquisition, you know, the, the training fulfillment and the, uh, and the project management, that's all coming at, at no, no cost to an employer. So uh, we've, we've made it very palatable. That probably deserves a special mention, Lonnie, is that there are dollars available to incent people to use the registered apprenticeship program. So the U.S. government invests in registered apprenticeship program across many industries, including IT. And uh, the state of Arkansas is investing. And you can do the ROI for the difference in an IT occupation versus maybe the standard wage or average wage right now in the state of Arkansas. 
Yeah. You so help- I mean, you guys are managing that bit for them, right? So you're pulling together the whole program. I mean, because again, you know, you might you've got sophisticated employers that probably know there's a bunch of programs out there, but you're kind of balling this up so that whether I am a sophisticated employer or a small employer, you can say, look, here is a program that's available to you to onboard folks that you might not normally be able to onboard. Yep. Very good, Phil. That's a good synopsis. And you know, Apprenticeship Carolina plays that role in South Carolina, but they do it across every industry. They haven't been quite as focused on IT like ACDS is in Arkansas, but the state of Arkansas has looked at our model of being that intermediary for the IT profession and said, why couldn't we replicate this in advanced manufacturing? Why couldn't we replicate this in healthcare and just find another organization that could take our model and just implement it so that you could do the same thing for professions in those other sectors? Well, I've got to believe that there's some benefit for you to being laser focused on IT, right? It's a it's a sort of unique problem set and skill set, right? I mean, there is a language involved in that space, which I'm sure that you guys have a handle on. So talk to me about, you know, I've got to believe that there's going to be folks listening to this. I mean, there's employers that are going to be listening to this thinking, oh, I didn't know this program existed. I can reach out to ACDS if I'm in Arkansas and kind of take advantage of this. Maybe they don't know. I mean, I know you've got a team telling people, but maybe they've missed that somehow. But there's also got to be people who would say, oh, wait a second. I don't think my skills are exactly a match for some of these positions that are out there. How do I get involved? Is there opportunity for that? Are you full up? I mean, tell us about that. If I, if I think I want to do IT, but I'm not quite 100%, how can I get involved with you? Well, you know, I'll, I'll take this one, Bill, just because this talent acquisition piece, you know, how they do their outreach is, is a, a very collaborative thing, Phil, right? Because there's messaging we do and there's there's things that we've tried to, to uh, express through normal channels of media that says, hey, you don't need to have that four-year degree, right? You can come in and have a great career in IT. You know, why not, why not me kind of thing? But we've realized that there's also avenues that we need to reach some of these populations that would like to connect to an ACDS and these opportunities, but they, they don't get that message for whatever reason. So we're thinking about how do we address veterans before they get out of the military in their last 180 days and share with them this opportunity? How do we reach African-Americans who aren't in college, they're in certain uh, underrepresented areas or poverty areas? It doesn't mean they don't have capability. They just don't hear about this and never get the opportunity. And now they could, right? So, and then, you know, women in IT organizations in various areas, and I know you've worked with them in Greenville and, and various others. You know, how do we find a way to communicate to them that this becomes a true career opportunity change or a move that would be successful? And we've used those organizations successfully, right? We don't try to do what they already do. We just want them to be able to share our message and bring, you know, not just one at a time, but maybe multiples into programs that are like pre-apprentice programs that give them a chance to be known and to get their name into the uh, greenhouse database that Bill referred to that has over 2,000 you know, candidates in there. So that is an evergreen process that continues to go on. And uh, the more that we continue to fill these uh, apprenticeship slots, the better the stories and the testimonies become of where did somebody come from, you know, that ended up getting this great opportunity at Tyson Foods or at Walmart or Simmons Bank or whatever. Um, so that, that's, that's part of this message is we reach them with some content and, uh, and utilize organizations they're a part of, even faith-based organizations that have tried to help some of their, you know, constituents with learning where opportunities might reside in rural. We talked about rural. 
So uh, that might be something we want to spend a little more time on if you want. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's interesting or, you know, I really like how you're spending some efforts reaching out to non-traditional channels, trying to bring diversity uh, into the field. I think that just, I think diversity strengthens everything. Talk to us a little bit. I know you were working on remote learning um, even before COVID, and obviously now you've had to go remote on a lot of things. Talk to us about how you handle the remote part and what your plans are as far as that goes. Yep. Bill, let's do that. You start and I'll add to. Yeah, the interesting thing, Scott, is when uh, COVID really hit, which was St. Patrick's Day 2020, right? Uh, the day before, we had classrooms in Fayetteville, Little Rock, Conway, and, and uh, Northeast Arkansas uh, actively training cohorts that were showing up three days a week primarily uh, in the classroom. That was on March 16th. On March 17th, all of the candidates that are apprentices were virtual and all of the instructors were virtual. Uh, we held the graduation ceremonies for those three cohorts in April. Uh, the employers were very satisfied with the results. Uh, I've got to compliment the instructors and the people that the instructors worked for, which were some universities and some private training partners, uh, because it takes a little bit more focus, right, to uh, have a classroom for six hours and you're doing it virtual three days a week. Uh, but the, it, there's work to do to tune that, to make it an actual virtual offering. Uh, but we were able to, to turn it overnight uh, in, in March. That's impressive. Yeah. And, and Scott, so, so it helps the, the audience here. You know, we talk a lot about virtual, but, you know, technology has always been one of the leaders in terms of people being able to work anywhere, right? You know, cyber hackers are all over the world, right? So cyber uh, preventers, if you will, cybersecurity analysts can be anywhere as well, right? Wow. And the same is true for writing code. We've been offshoring stuff for years. Why can't we have somebody that does work for Walmart and sit in Newport in some rural community because they've got the skills and they don't necessarily have to be there. So we have done a lot to promote this idea of remote apprenticeships. And then if you think about it, we won a grant just recently, $2 million from the U.S. Department of Labor to do what was called, and not exclusively this, but to include what's called fully remote apprenticeships. And the idea there is that that candidate could be in a rural community and be screened, interviewed, selected, hired, basically trained, and then begin to be productive and never set foot in a corporate office, never have met an HR representative face-to-face, -face, their hiring manager, or their teams. Now, to do that, in the past, somebody would have looked at that, and I can say I was part of a national group that studied that, and the apprehension was, oh, you know, that dynamic is going to be gone. How are we going to replace that? You know, there's a lot of apprehension of doing that fully like that. But COVID as a crisis forced that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no way around it. That's just the way it was going to be. And guess what? We proved that technology stepped to the plate, right? And we said, yep, we said it was possible, and now we just proved it. And so in terms of an apprentice, they need some of that mentoring, they need some things. So we've had to make some special accommodations to how social they are and how they can kind of build relationship that helps them. It's not just a technical job, you still need to understand behaviors and bigger picture and culture. 
But to do that remotely, we just have to make special accommodation. I think we're leading the country in that in Arkansas. We've got a group about ready to launch uh, in what's called Newport, which is pretty rural as I'm a new Arkansan, right? I don't know it that well, but it would be highly representative of rural South Carolina, rural North Carolina and so forth. And so uh, this really affords somebody an opportunity to say, I'd love to be in IT, but do I have to go to Little Rock? Do I have to go to the big city or can I stay with my family in my, on my farm and still be uh, engaged in this profession? And the answer to that is absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I just, like that. Um, I've got clients that are remote or fully remote. They hire people virtually and it just opens you up to a broader talent pool. If you're not restricted to the people who live right in your area or are willing to relocate to your area, which can be, you know, you, it just expands your list of candidates and your ability to find some really great people. If you're open to that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I just like this idea a lot. I mean, A, you can deliver this thing fully remotely. You're reaching out to people specifically who might not normally think they have opportunity. Um, there have got to be, you know, you've been at this for a little while, though. So you've learned some things. I'm kind of curious if you've got any sort of lessons learned, things we needed to do to tweak tune as we've been along the way, you know, either to make it easier for folks to come into the program or for you to work with the employers. Well, I'll say one thing that's evident right now, and that is that not all IT uh, positions are created equal, as you know, right? That's why we have, I don't know if we want to say it's 26, 27, you know, different occupations in the field of IT. And uh, there is always going to be a natural tendency that somebody believes that some of these are further up the food chain in terms of you had to have experience or this is what we expected. And I do want to make sure it's clear. Apprenticeships are not only for an entry level position. An apprentice can be somebody who's moving from a developer to an architect or, you know, from something to a, maybe they, they used to be in, in uh, operations and now they're becoming a network analyst, right? I mean, the idea of them going through their natural career progression, all this really means is in the past, we used to take on professional development as being something, well, we'll get that for you if we can. You know, we think you're ready, but you're going to kind of learn by doing when you move over there. Uh, right. In the midst of that, that's an apprentice program because you're going you're gonna to shepherd them through with somebody who's showing them the ropes, and you do realize they probably need some professional development and training. What we found with this data analyst role is that I think more than 80% of the current cohort is incumbents, people that had already existed in some of those companies that they would have liked to have moved them into a data analyst apprenticeship position rather than hiring somebody from the outside because they knew the business, but they didn't have the skills they still become an apprentice. So an apprentice doesn't have to be from the outside. It can be an internal incumbent worker. And I think that's very important for companies to realize. I'll give you an example. Simmons Foods, uh, much like Tyson and other big uh, you know, food processing plants in Northwest Arkansas, when they heard about this and said, we've always thought about whether or not there was some talent out there in the plant, that we could offer some kind of opportunity to people in the plant who didn't have a degree in computer science, but probably dabbled, they probably would enjoy it, but they never thought it was possible that they could do that. They right. just added three developers into the QA junior developer cohort at Simmons Foods, and, uh, and it's working out great. Think of the morale building that somebody now had an opportunity to kind of leave one place, and it was a twofer, Phil. The twofer was that 
that position wasn't being released by the company. So what happened was they moved into an IT position and then they opened up that plant position to an apprentice coming in in the manufacturing area, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a win-win. Yeah. No, that's that's a, a great story. I mean, like I said, there are just so many places where people might be able to apply this. They just have to be a little bit creative and sort of maybe reach out to you and let you help them figure out what's possible because you're the experts at this now. So how do, if someone is interested on either side getting connected to you guys, I think this is the time where we tell them how to do that. So how do I get a hold of ACDS and how do I either apply to be an apprentice or how do I say I want my company to be able to put together a program like this? Bill, do you want to start us? ACDS.co, ACDS.co. That's the website. You're going to find a way to connect there. You'll see all of the cohorts that are currently uh, being built. So there's a way to apply. Uh, Once you apply, you're going to, the talent acquisition people are going to reach out to you. Uh, if you're an employer and you want to understand uh, a little bit more about registered apprenticeship program as a process, give us your name and contact information and uh, Lonnie or one of his teammates will, uh, will be reaching out to you. Super. Lonnie, you must have something you want to add to that. I mean, I'll give you the last word. Well, you know, as Bill said, that's kind of the, the digital way to connect with us. We are trying to team up with the, the uh, state agencies, the Division of Workforce Services, as well as what's called the Office of Skills Development. And by doing that, we actually set up on a regular basis what we call employer forums. And now those are digital and they're not location specific. And so we invite employers to send a rep to this to where we can reach out and touch 30, 40, 50 employers at once and share the message. And, And the phrase we like to use is that we like to move them from awareness to interest to commitment. And so yeah. what that means is that they, they knew enough to say, I want to take the next step. And then we have a meeting with the right people at their company at the same time, you know, HR, uh, recruiting, payroll, uh, you know, the hiring manager and some champion, because then they all hear the same message and say, gosh, is there any reason why we shouldn't do this, right, as a strategy? And then they go forward. And once they commit, then we either connect them to their own internal program or we connect them to a community cohort. Yeah. No, I love this. You know, then that provides both social proof. They realize they're not in the problem by themselves, right? There's a whole bunch of people that would like to solve this problem. The good news is they've got you as kind of a hub to kind of figure this problem out and to see what are the opportunities going forward. So uh, thank you, Bill Yoder and Lonnie Emmerd for hanging out with us on the Tech After Five podcast. I am excited about what you're doing. I'm excited about doing Tech After Five with you guys. It's been just a great experience. And uh, if I get a word in on that, I'm just going to say, you know, I'm I'm sorry that there is a pandemic, but I am really glad that I now get to hang out with you guys every month on a call and talk to the Arkansas community in ways that we weren't able to do before. It's a, that's been a gift to me just to kind of t- to see what you guys are up to. So thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you, Scott and Phil. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Scott, I think we've done what we came here to do. Hopefully we've introduced a few people to the ACDS and their uh, fully remote apprenticeship program. And, uh, Uh, hopefully more folks will get involved. Yeah, this was really great. Yeah.
Thank you, guys. I feel, I I feel exactly the same way. Thank you. If uh, you would like to know more, we put out the website. It's acds.co. And of course, as always, if you have not shown your smiling face on one of our Zoom calls for Tech After Five in whatever city you would like to uh, join us, uh, just go to the website, techafterfive.com. And uh, I will say, you know, we've had a few visitors because I keep telling them how awesome the Arkansas community is. So we get visitors from all over our footprint. And in fact, we get guys from, we've had them from Oklahoma, we've had them from Pennsylvania, we've had them from New Jersey showing up on these calls because they would like to be in Arkansas someday. So that's really kind of cool. So join us at techafter5.com. Thanks a lot. (laughs) 